Welcome to the B Major Podcast with Noah Aronson. I am Noah Aronson. I'm a recording artist, composer, performer, and intentional mover. I create music and interactive experiences to activate creativity in the mind and body. This podcast is a playground for you to explore the intersection of wellness and creativity. My process involves activating the voice by dropping into the body. I developed this method to help me battle depression and anxiety, and now I'm excited to share with you how creativity can be a powerful modality to add to other wellness and healing practices you may have. I call it the Revoice Method, and all of the music you'll hear on this podcast will be a result of this creative practice. Each week, you'll hear interviews with practitioners working in the wellness and creativity space, be guided through meditations, and will be invited into my revoice method. It is my belief that we are all quote-unquote creatives, and when we can activate our creativity authentically, we can all be happier, healthier, be more joyful, we can all be major. Welcome to the first episode of the B Major Podcast. Today we are discussing the concept of how we all have the capacity to be creative. Over the last several years, there's been a tendency in the corporate world to refer to one subset of the population as creatives. They mean this to be anyone who can help them generate creative content for their platform. Photographers, graphic designers, visual or performance artists. I think in some ways the artistic community has also come to adopt this term as we are all trying to make a living with our art. We as artists are encouraged to create content for the sake of grabbing people's attention as opposed to art for the sake of expression. While there is certainly a place for this, I think it reinforces the notion that only some of us can create while the rest of us are just, I don't know what, laborers. I want to help reframe that concept and remind us that we are all creatives, that being creative is simply having the ability to notice what is going on around us and within us and expressing that experience. In reframing it in this way, we can also see how creativity and a creative practice can open up the doorway for healing. Just like we need certain wellness practices like meditation and breath work to bring down our nervous systems from a place of stress into a place of rest, we also need creative practices to have a vehicle to express what is going on within us. When we block the flow of our expression, that energy can get trapped in our bodies. We need a pathway to release that stuck energy in a healthy way. Otherwise, it has the tendency to come out as aggression or stress, anxiety, or even depression. My creative outlet is through the voice. I am grateful that I was encouraged to sing from a young age. My father was a cantor in a synagogue, and he devoted his life to using his voice to move people closer to their spirituality and their Jewish community. I was a very quiet child and extremely shy in social situations. I would love to sing around the house, and I remember that first night of summer camp when I was 10 years old, and I started singing in the bunk at night. I was teased for that for the rest of the summer by the other boys. 
Their teasing was relentless all summer and for the following summers afterwards. And so the next year when I was asked to try out for the school play, I was petrified to audition and I didn't do it. this work of helping individuals and communities find their voice, I've heard so many horror stories of teachers telling children not to sing because they had a bad voice. Even saying this phrase out loud right now, bad voice, it sends chills down my spine. How can someone have a bad voice? How can someone else judge another person's voice? Our voice is sacred. Our voice is our primary avenue for communicating our needs with the world. How terrible to plant that seed in an impressionable child's mind. I am eternally grateful that my father was a singer and he nudged me fairly insistently to take part in theater when the opportunity came around the next year. When I got on that stage, I came alive. The shy and reserved child that I had been disappeared, and I loved the experience of being heard. If you have a story that you're still carrying about a time when your voice was stifled, I'd love to hear how that made you feel and if that had an effect on your life since then. And I want to encourage you to examine that story now and reflect on whether it serves you to hold on to it. When we can open up our voice we can open up to a world of authentic expression that allows us to be heard, allows us to express our needs, our desires, and our boundaries more clearly, and invites in the possibility for receiving more love and compassion into our lives. There are so many different ways that creative spirit wants to move through us. I believe that the reason we have senses is so that we can create with them. We have sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell at our disposal. Our eyes, ears, mouths, nose, hands, our physical and emotional bodies, our minds can all be employed to create. I use my body to dance the creative spirit. I use my hands to play instruments. I use my mind to write and compose. I use my voice to express. If I were a chef, I would use my sense of taste and my sense of smell to serve the creative spirit. We do this for ourselves and we do this to serve the world. The world needs your creativity. The creative spirit needs you as does the rest of humanity. Julia Cameron, in her book, The Artist's Way, talks about the great creator, how when we can acknowledge that there is a great creator, whenever we are being creative, we are serving that creator. The creator doesn't have eyes, hands, a body, or a mind. It only has the creative spirit that it breathes into all of us with our passion, our inspiration, our aspirations. We have a role to play in serving that creator. This doesn't necessitate a belief in God. It's a framework to help us get out of our egoic minds and take the pressure off of ourselves to generate genius. 
In ancient Greece, the word genius was not something that someone possesses, but something that someone receives. When we believe that we have to be the genius, we put unneeded pressure on ourselves to generate art. But when we can reframe genius as something that we receive, then the job of the artist is simply to learn how to tune in to what is going on within and around us. In that way, being creative is also a mindfulness practice as much as it is an artistic one. We simply need to create space to listen and observe what is coming up in any given moment. Every moment possesses within it the potential for inspiration. We just need to learn how to listen for it. And when we do, it is our job to use it and serve it with our experience and craft. This will inevitably be healing for ourselves, but it is also healing for the world. The intention of the great creator is pure, honest, and good. It is pure love. So when we block our creativity, we are blocking divine love. When we block the flow of creative energy through our bodies, we are actually preventing love from flowing out of us and through us. I make a distinction between creativity and art. Art, I believe, is creativity combined with craft, but creativity on its own, for its own sake, is simply allowing ourselves to express what is flowing through us in any given moment. So if I were to say we are all artists, that would, to me, imply that we have all devoted the time to develop our crafts in our respective fields. That is obviously not the case for everyone. But I do believe that we all possess the ability to be creative, to express what is wanting to flow through us, and to offer it out to the world or back to ourselves for our own personal growth and expansion. I went to Berklee College of Music, which was a great place to cultivate my craft, but music school did not teach me how to be creative. It taught me the craft of music so that I could more fluidly express art through music. It's taken me the entirety of my life's experience to actually learn how to serve my creativity. When someone asks me how long it took me to write that song, my answer is usually, oh, it only took me 38 years. Learning how to be creative is a process of learning how to be myself, how to get out of my own way and serve creativity, how to get out of my head and how to activate my authentic expression. That is hard work. Learning scales and arpeggios and chords, that's the easy stuff. That just takes time and discipline. But learning how to be creative, now that's been a journey. But the good news is, since being creative is only about learning how to be myself, it's also the easiest thing in the world. Once I stopped creating art that served my ego or served someone else's needs and started creating things that I loved and enjoyed, it all became so easy and light. As many of you know, I recently released a new album called Move. Upon the release of that album, I already had 16 more songs that will go on the next album. The process all became so much easier when I tapped into my own experience, my own expression, my own voice. <laughs>
this is what I'd love to invite you into. I'd love to invite you to take that creative journey for yourself. Only you have lived your experience. Only you have walked in your own body. What is wanting to move through you? What is wanting to be expressed within you? I obviously use music to communicate. Even if you haven't cultivated an artistic craft, what can you create right now, today? What can you allow to move through you and express? Maybe it's dancing around your house with absolutely no music on. Maybe it's cooking something truly delicious for yourself. Maybe it's making a collage of images you love in the different magazines you read. What ignites you? What is your vehicle of expressing the love that is wanting to flow through you today? So I'm going to take you on another revoiced journey right now. I will create music spontaneously in and for this moment without editing or correcting or changing it. I will invite in that which is wanting to flow through me and I will express it openly for you to experience and witness. I invite you to move along with the music that I create, to come along on this journey with me and to entrain your heart and your body to the rhythms and sounds that you hear. Come into the flow with me and see what emerges for you. If you can, find a place to stand where you can move around freely, knowing that you won't be disturbed, where you can enjoy this moment for yourself. Yeah, man, I 
how much was wanting to move through just in that moment. This process that I call the revoice method is all about acceptance. 
accepting what is wanting to come through my voice in any given moment, and then making choices based on what I enjoy. It's about flowing with my joy. It's about following my joy and listening. Listening for what is wanting to emerge, listening to what the music is asking of me in that moment. If you were doing this method, your music would sound completely different. And in truth, I do this practice almost every day and no two days are exactly alike. Yes, I am constricted by the musical ideas that I have heard throughout my lifetime. So there's a reason why it doesn't often come out as Bulgarian folk music. It is a combination of the different musical textures and sounds that I've been exposed to. And so naturally that is what will emerge. It frustrates me when critics say that an artist is stealing or copying someone else's work. I find that more often than not, these similarities are not anyone intentionally stealing. It's more a reflection of what music that artist has been exposed to and what they're listening to at that moment. It's not stealing, and if it is, then steal like an artist, as the author Austin Kleon would say. Take things from the world around you and merge it with your own experience and your own expression. Don't bother with whether or not it sounds or looks like someone else's work. Of course it does. That's the point. We all just take the raw materials that are around us and we are trying to fuse it with our own voice. It's like saying that a writer shouldn't use words because other people have used words before. Of course it will sound like something else. It's supposed to. The less judgment and editing we have of ourselves in the creative process, the better. Obviously, if you've copied someone else's work on purpose, then that's a different story. But if something emerges out of your authentic experience that looks and sounds like someone else's work, simply thank that person, either directly if you know them or indirectly through the channels of the universe and appreciate that their work moved you because it likely moved you once because they were channeling authentic creative experience for themselves and were likely borrowing sounds from things that they have heard in the past as well. It's all part of this beautiful creative process. So let's get out of our own way, get out of the egoic conversation of what is mine and what is yours, and simply let the creative expression pour through us. I promise, if you express yourself authentically and honestly, your art will be unique and incomparable. So let's move on to the interview portion of our podcast. Today, I am honored to welcome Tony Fredericks onto the B Major podcast as our very first guest. I hope that you find our interview as enlightening and inspiring as I did, and that you come away feeling energized to tap back into your own creativity. Welcome, everyone. Uh, today, I'm speaking with Tony Fredericks. He is a nationally recognized educator, well known for his engaging conference presentations. A retired professor of education from York College of Pennsylvania, he is an award-winning and best-selling author of more than 160 adult nonfiction and children's books. His new book coming out in November is called From Fizzle to Sizzle. Wow, it is so great to have you on this program. Thank you for making the time. No, it's my pleasure. Looking forward to it. 160 books. Did you ever imagine when you wrote your first book that you'd ever reach that milestone? Not, not I had no clue whatsoever, but I, I just, 
just had a, uh, there was a seed that apparently some of my teachers planted in the back of my head. And about 40 years ago, that seed sprouted. And I just became enamored of sharing information with others, helping teachers better their, their, their classroom teaching behaviors, helping kids understand and appreciate nature, and helping uh, adults uh, be, become more creative or, or better teachers in their life. For me, it just has become a consuming passion. And I love it every time I sit down at my computer at six o'clock in the morning and start working on a new manuscript. Oh, it's the best time of day. I was just telling a friend that because uh, I only recently in the last year or so started waking up you know, really early with the sunrise and I feel like I'm cheating at life. I feel like this is such a gift. I never I never knew that like the 5 a.m. hour was such a beautiful hour to be awake. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, no noise that, you know, the, the, the cat sleeps under my computer table and uh you know the world is quiet yeah. and the creativity just flows uh-huh it's can you talk i mean you, you spoke a little bit about how you've been doing this for 40 years and that some of your teachers planted seeds can you talk a little bit more about your journey and maybe what your upbringing was like uh, i grew up in uh, southern california in a town called newport beach hmm. uh, I'm, a, I'm a reformed surfer boy uh-huh. um now i live in pennsylvania and there's no ocean in pennsylvania so uh, I don't have that. I went to elementary school and middle school uh, in Southern California, went to a boarding school in Arizona for my high school years, uh, eventually went to University of Arizona where I got a degree in secondary education, uh, then went right into the Coast Guard. This was 1970, served four years in the Coast Guard. I because of my education background, I had I was asked by the commanding officer to establish a uh, remedial reading program for recruits who were coming into the service, but w- with high school diplomas, but were only reading at a third or fourth grade level. Wow. Uh, and we had about an 86% success rate of getting those uh, re- young recruits through um, boot camp. Mm. After that, um, I decided to get my master's family picked up and we moved from California to Pennsylvania, got my master's, was encouraged at that point to get my doctorate in reading education, went to Lehigh University, got my doctorate, uh, started teaching at a private school, uh, transferred to a public school where I was a reading specialist. Um, That's where I started doing my writing back in the early 80s. Um, and, And then eventually I wound up at your college of Pennsylvania as a professor of education, worked there for 30 years, loved every minute of it, loved working with a, with a new generation of teachers, their enthusiasm, their passion, their yeah. get up and go drive. I just loved doing that. Mm. They had to drag me kicking and screaming into retirement. <laughs> but, I, but my wife and I had made a pact that we wanted to retire while we were both still vertical. <laughs> so, we achieved that goal. Yeah, congratulations! Enjoyed retirement ever since. <laughs> you know, I, I, when you're saying that you are a reading specialist, uh, you know, a piece of my heart opened up a little bit because uh, I struggled with reading when I was a child, uh, and uh, it was like I had loving parents who who noticed that struggle and, and gave me, uh, you know, the the support and tutoring that I needed throughout my my schooling and um, and and it's just an invaluable, uh, you know, learning to be able to, to feel, um, 
that reading is not a struggle because um, it, it really is a, a painful um, barrier for, for, it was a painful barrier for me and also I'm sure for a lot of people still. Wow, terrific. What a great story. Super. Yeah, it was just great that you were doing that work and you were, you know, serving people. But and and then the fact that you also were a writer, you know, it was it was kind of helping draw people towards, you know, some of what you and also. I, you know, I think you know part of my passion for writing comes from you know as a writing specialist, I was there to assist youngsters who were having some struggles with reading. And then as I, you know, I, I got into that, I saw I could help teachers become better teachers of reading or better teachers of any subject. And that just grew into writing for children. I've done about 50 children's books, helping them appreciate and learn about the environment, about nature's, about animal, about animals. And um, then that just grew into, you know, now writing uh, adult nonfiction. I'm helping folks uh, you know, make sense of what they're doing and lead more productive and more creative lives. Yeah, I, I just thinking about reading, it, it feels markedly different than TV watching how it works in our brain. Uh, have you done any kind of thinking about, you know, the difference between like when we read, when a child reads or when an adult reads and, and absorbs the material and how that enters into the mind in a different way than maybe TV. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of storytelling and story, you know, ever since uh, humans uh, migrated from, you know, the Rift Valley in Africa and began, you know, spreading out across uh, Europe and Asia, we have been um, natural storytellers. Storytelling was the only entertainment, so to speak, uh, in, in those days. And in fact, in medieval Europe, storytellers were praised, they were honored, they were celebrated, they traveled from town to town. Obviously, no internet, no TV, no, nothing like that. So storytellers were, were essentially revered as um, esteemed members of, of the community. Hmm. And to be able to share a story, whether in print or whether verbally with people, is, is both an honor and a privilege. Um, when you consider a program like uh, Prairie Home Companion with yeah. Garrison Keeler, what's the what's the what do people sit up and pay attention to most? It, it's about the town of Wobegon and his stories, um, and people are just glued to their radios. Hmm. And so, storytelling is sort of a universal language, if you will, if you will, uh, getting people, you know, giving people some form of entertainment, maybe a lesson or two but just the power of language hmm. to change people. Ah, yeah. I love it. And you also mentioned that a lot of your children's books and your work with children was about kind of um, opening them up to um, the beauty of nature. Uh, how, how has that uh, manifested for you in your life? And it seems to me that now more than ever, we need to be exposing children to that. Absolutely. I, I was very fortunate when I was growing up, my father and I, every August would take two weeks and we'd go up into the high Sierra mountains of Eastern California. And we would camp uh, for two weeks and we would bring one week's worth of food. That meant we had to catch a lot of fish to, to be able to uh, satisfy ourselves during that last week. But I, I, I remember to this day walking around lakes, uh, strolling across ponds, um, fishing in streams and rivers, and just being where there were no, there was no electricity, there were no modern conveniences. You were one 
with nature. Mm. And sort of that sort of got into, into me at that time. And then when I had the opportunity to write for kids, I wanted to share with them some of the things that I discovered in nature. Yeah. And um, in doing some, some research, I found that nature just opens up all kinds of incredible opportunities for creativity, mm. giving kids the time and space to learn about the world in which they live. And one of, the, one of the big lessons that I learned a long time ago is good, and kids will often ask me this, what's the most important thing in writing? And I always respond, I say, passion. If the writer is not passionate about what she or he is writing about, the reader won't be passionate about it as well. So I wanna make sure that there's passion in every word and every sentence that I share with kids. Yeah. Same thing holds for adults as well. Uh, kids will also ask me, how long does it take to write a book? I usually tell them one to two years. And they're thinking to themselves, a 32-page book and it takes them two years? You must be the dumbest writer on the planet. Uh, so, but I tell them, I want to make sure that every word is a word that you will want to read. Uh, passion has to go into each one of those words, mm. in each one of those sentences. Mm. I get my passion from nature. I get my passion from from watching, you know, strolling through a forest, wa watching animals, um, just sitting underneath a tree and thinking about the world around. That's mm. where my passion comes from. Connecting with that, the pace of nature, the slower pace, the mm. removal of some of the pollution, whether it be noise or light pollution that is around us, air pollution. And when you, when you free yourself a little bit from those distractions, you know, your mind can open up and expand. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so in, in your books, you, you talk a lot about children and, and the, create, the creative process and how children are creative and adults are logical. Can you talk a little bit about that conflict between logic and creativity? As children, we tend to color outside the lines. We tend to look at things as possibilities rather than as absolutes. Um, a five-year-old child or four-year-old child, probably the most creative people that we, we, we can come up with those are the kids those are kids who ask why questions why is the sky blue why do birds fly south uh, you know why does mommy do this why does daddy do that so they're constantly inquisitive about the world in which they live however sometime in their education sometime between five and nine years old some of that creative creativity is um, siphoned off because now we have to take standardized tests where there's only one right answer to each question. And the average child will take somewhere, somewhere between 2,500 test quizzes and exams between first grade and 12th grade. Hmm. You average that out, that's roughly about a quiz or exam almost every day they're in school. And the focus of those quizzes and exams is to find out the right answer. What's two plus two? What's the state capital of California? Um, what's the chemical symbol for salt? So we, we tend to narrow our focus, narrow our thinking to what we often refer to as convergent answers, one right answer. Mm. Creativity is looking at many answers. It's divergent thinking. It's looking at possibilities. Mm. Uh, one of the questions that I love asking kids and I even ask myself on, on frequent occasions for questions that begin with the two words, what if? What if we did that? What, for example, I might ask kids, what if human beings had seven fingers on each hand? <laughs> okay. What if you, like a cat, 
had nine lives, supposedly. And kids can just generate all kinds of incredible possibilities with that. Adults have a hard time with that because now we're, we're, logic, we're logical thinkers. We have to think logically in our life, in our work, our, what we do with our families. And um, so we tend to um, lose that sense of creativity as we grow older, as we go through the education system. Uh, yeah. Um, and is there a way for adults to kind of tap into that childlike wonder? There are a number of ways. Uh, and and that one of the ways I suggest is take some time and just observe child children. Go to a playground, sit on a park bench, watch the kids on the, on the, on the swings or on the jungle gym or on the uh, seesaw. Listen to them. Listen to the natural uh, enthusiasm and that natural curiosity going. And if you listen carefully, your kids are asking themselves what if questions. What if I climb to the top of this jungle gym? What might happen? What if I went down the slide backwards? What might happen? So if, if you get a sense of that, that enthusiastic curiosity about life, listen to kids. Uh, I would suggest to a lot of folks, uh, you know, read a lot of children's books. Look at the passion. Look at the enthusiasm. Look at the, uh, the creativity in those, in those uh, children's books. And you can go to any library, and the children's librarian will be happy to recommend, you know, uh, children's classics that will, uh, you know, reinvent the way they think about uh, the world around. Now, that's just two brief examples. I've got a, in the book From Fizzle to Sizzle, I've got about 123 other ways that people can reorient their, their thinking, get back to that childlike uh, way of looking at the world. Yeah, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about your book, Fizzle to Sizzle. Uh, you also wrote, is, the, is Fizzle, uh, the hidden forces crushing your creativity? Is that the precursor to Fizzle to Sizzle? Well, when I originally wrote the book, I originally wrote the book as Fizzle. Um, and I'll, let me give you a little bit of background on that. I, had, uh, I did some research when I came up with the idea. And I discovered that there were over 50,000 books listed on Amazon dealing with creativity. Huh. So I thought to myself, why are there 50,000 books? Is creativity that big an issue? And I discovered, yeah, publishers are not going to be putting that number of books out for sale unless they know they can make some money off them, unless they know there's a sufficient audience that wants to buy those books. And I said, why so many books? And then I, I began some investigations and I discovered there wasn't any, any books at all on why we feel the need to buy creativity books. In other <laughs> words, why do we feel we are not creative? Huh. And so I started doing some research and oh my goodness, the research was just incredible on all of the reasons why our creativity has fizzled as adults. I broke the book down into, into four categories, the things that affect us during childhood, how, we're, how we are raised, the questions and comments that parents make to us, our education, which I've addressed a, a, a little bit today, uh, how our education tends to depress our creative instincts, our work environment, the things that go on where we work and how we deal with colleagues and how we deal with assignments uh, and some of the myths in the work environment that tend to depress creativity. And then also some of our personal beliefs. And one of the personal beliefs that shows up time and time again is people who think I'm not creative. 
Picasso was creative. Van Gogh was creative. Misty Copeland, the ballet dancer, was creative. Maya Angelou was creative. I'm not going to be able to do those kinds of things. So you know what? I'm going to arbitrarily put myself in a category called I'm not very creative. Limiting beliefs. We, we tend to inflict those kinds of beliefs on ourselves and we hold fast to them thinking we can't be creative. I can share, you know, you know, some strategies, you know, uh, and I wanted to share some strategies on how we can erase that kind of thinking. Yeah, I would love to explore. I mean, uh, I don't want you to give away the whole book here on this podcast, here, <laughs> but if you, if you can share some of your secrets or at least some of the discoveries that you've, you've learned. Here, here, yeah, here's, here's one of the things that I, I'd like folks to keep in mind. You still have the remnants of that creativity you embraced as a child. For example, maybe you are the person who makes the best margarita in the world. Maybe you're the person who keeps people laughing at any social occasion. Um, maybe you have written a poem for your significant other that brings tears to their eyes. You have little vestiges of creativity. Embrace those, celebrate those, write those down. Remind yourself, I've still got some things in my life that I can do in, in creatively. And um, if I can build upon those, I can build my whole uh, sense of a creative life a little more effectively. You know, as you're, as you're speaking of that, like what's the next step? What's the, what's the benefit for someone to step into their creativity in that way? Um, the benefit is we, we tend to embrace life a little more fully. We can tend to embrace life more enthusiastic, enthusiastically. We put more happiness into our life. Um, I'm very big on the notion of mindfulness and how mindfulness can help us create an atmosphere and a mental environment, if you will, that allows, our, allows us to spread out, to think more divergently. Um, you know, we're, we all live very busy, hectic lives. We are, and you know, we take a look at all the things that hit us electronically. We are on information overload. We need some time to step away from that, to reflect, to ponder, to think, to get in a, to get into a state where we can allow our thoughts to uh, regenerate and, and, and improve and mindfulness is an example of that of that process. And I'm wondering if mindfulness makes us more aware of that little voice in our head, that inner critic, uh, and wondering if you've uh, you know, discovered or um, identified any tools for combating the resistance that emerges for us. I, I don't have any specific tools. I just, I think that taking some time each day, uh, whether it's 10 minutes, five minutes, and ju just sort of, you know, decompressing mentally, thinking about what you what you can do um, to improve yourself, knowing that you have those strategies, those remnants of your childhood, and that you can now build upon those. Um, it's sort of an affirmation process. Um, one of the things I often suggested to my undergraduate students was take some time and write every day, write one good thing about yourself. No repeats. So if you say I'm a good listener on Monday, uh, three weeks later on Wednesday, you can't say I'm a good listener because you've already done that. Look for all the good that you do and just write yourself a, a, a reaffirmation statement. 
in a, in a journal. Nobody has to look at that. But every once in a while, when you get in that down period of your life, when you think everything's going wrong, you know, the, the world's against you, open up that journal to any page and read five or six of those. You'll change your mind. You know, you'll set yourself up for some very positive mental development. That's a, that's a great tool. It's easy. It's simple. Anybody could do that. Um, it doesn't take, you know, an hour of your day to meditate. You just have to make one little step every single day. And then the practice, the discipline of that starts to re retrain the brain towards positive thinking. Yeah. And I think you used a critical word there, the discipline. It's something we have to do all the time because mm -hmm. we are constantly now bombarded with all that information. We need to plan for lack of a better term, me time, you know, time where we can, we are in charge of the information that's circulating around in our head. And, and more on that topic of discipline, you actually, you write about uh, how creativity is a combination of small habits. I really like that, that framing of it. I also like that you're expanding the concept of creativity past art making. Uh, to me, everyone is creative and has the capacity to be creative that it doesn't have to necessarily be art that we, we, that it, it manifests itself in that way. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you've expanded these, this concept of creativity? I mean, we can, we can be creative in any aspect of our life. And we, we think that creativity is producing a product, not necessarily producing a product. It can be something as simple as creating a new thought, allowing your mind to go in several different directions. Too often we've um, put these uh, celebrated creative icons on pedestals, Picasso, Van Gogh, Einstein, uh, Archimedes, uh, Socrates, um, you know, and, and we say they are the, the creatives, but we oftentimes make the mistake, make the mistake of looking into art and often science to identify those creatives. Who, who would we identify as a creative in, in, on flowers? Who would we identify as a creative on, um, I don't know, um, writing a, a sonnet? Um, those little acts, what I call small habits, are necessary for our lives. Creativity is not creating, inventing a cure for the common cold. It may be simply, okay, saying to yourself, um, I can write uh, a sentence that will change somebody's mind. Mm. Uh, and that can be simple. Those aren't celebrated. They aren't put on TV. They're not uh, detailed in, in newspapers or on the internet. They are personal creative habits. Those little small habits, as you referred to, are essential to a creative life. Start small. For example, a lot of people will create New Year's resolutions. I want to lose 50 pounds this year. What happens by the time February comes around? Can't do it. But what if you got, what if you got up on January 1st and say, I want to, in the coming week, I want to lose four ounces. Now, four ounces doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it's a small step. And how about the next week? Another four ounces. How about the next one? You've established a series of small habits, small steps. And as, as the old Oriental proverb goes, the longest journey begins with but a single step. And so you start those single, those small, tiny little steps, and they become habit forming. And now you get into that habit. Now you can lose that 50 pounds in a year because you've done small steps, small habits. Same thing holds true for creativity. If we do that in small steps, 
I'm going to write the, you know, the, I'm going to put three words together that are just going to cause somebody to jump up with excitement. Great, wonderful. You don't, I mean, nobody's going to know about that, but you, maybe another person, but it's a small step. Do that every day. Yes, or you're, you're starting to regenerate all that inherent creativity that you had as a child. Yeah, it sounds like there's really this combination between creating and being creative and also self-improvement. Like there's this meeting point, because as, as we spoke about before the show, um, you know, the, the project that I'm working on right now, Be Major, this platform is all about the meeting point between wellness practices and creative practices and how our creative practices can be therapeutic for us and our wellness practices and how we eat and how we sleep and how we move can actually create more space for us to be more creative. Yeah, they, 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 they are not mutually exclusive. They are, you know, they are mutually beneficial to each other. <clears throat> the, the, the time to take some small habits and the time to think about that in, in, a, in a mindful kind of way can be uh, great um, sparks to um, uh, enhancing our, our creativity. And do you have wellness practices that you incorporate into your life that help you with your creativity? I take at least 10 minutes every day where it's, again, it's me time. Um, my computer is off. Um, my, all the lights are off in my office. Uh, I, I sit there and I, and I, you know, I don't necessarily close my eyes, but I ponder, you know, what can I be working on? What are some ways that can make someone else's life a little better? What are some words I can put on a, on a piece of paper? What are some ways I can share some positive strokes with um, you know, my friends and family? Um, and, and it helps me sort through all the, uh, the, the, the plethora of information that's sort of bombarding me every day. Um, one of the other things I do, I take a daily walk. I go out and I walk for two or three miles. It gives me a chance to be out in nature to be among trees and bushes and birds and animals. And it, that in, in and of itself opens up my mind to some new possibilities as well. I'm wondering if there's also like a spiritual component to your work and into your life and if that works its way into your creativity. Um, I would say yes. Um, and I think I define spirituality uh, in a personal term that it's what I believe to be good what I believe I can incorporate into my life. It's not necessarily the teachings or the writings of others, but I've got, I've, I've found that, you know, when I can use something called self-determination to figure out what I need to improve my life and what I can, uh, how I, I can use that refound power to improve the lives of others. Hmm. Um, that would be my spirituality. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's an expansive uh, and also personal um, relationship with that kind of spiritual path uh, that's not necessarily attached to a dogma specifically, but it's a, a, an inner knowing of going towards goodness. Yes, absolutely. Well, I've just been in, so enjoying talking with you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, when, when does, where did that word fizzle, where did you get that, that phrase fizzle to sizzle? I mean, where, where did that come from? I, I, to be honest, to be honest with you, no, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I can't remember it because I started this journey about three years ago, uh, but I was looking for keywords, keywords that would embody the, the, the message of the book. 
And I don't know, maybe I, I heard it, maybe it was at a July 4th celebration three years ago, but the word fizzle popped up and I just love the way the, the word rolls off the tongue, yeah. the images it creates in the mind. It would be something that folks might remember, folks that might be able to identify with. And then quite naturally, you know, as a, you know, writer of children's books, I thought, what, what else could, would go along with fizzle? Because I didn't want to take uh, the, the negative viewpoint all the time and sizzle just popped right up. And it would be, I thought well, from fizzle to sizzle, I think a lot of people would understand uh, what that means and the implications. And hopefully they might, might see that as something, you know, appropriate for, for their own lives. And it's also, a, you know, if you're writing about creativity, it's a creative title. So it shows that you're already kind of in that flow with your own creativity. Yes. Uh, well, it's been an absolute joy talking with you. Uh, once again, we've been talking with Tony Fredericks. Uh, he has a book coming out called Fizzle to Sizzle uh, coming out. Do you know exactly when? It's like November, is it? November 1st is the release date, yes. Wonderful. So you can pick up a copy uh, November 1st uh, and stay connected with Tony uh, and all of the amazing works that he's done. Uh, this is just one of 160 books that you can access of Tony's work. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for being, for taking the time, for being on the show, for, for opening up about your journey and your, your experiences. My pleasure and my, uh, my honor, Noah. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Once again, thank you to Tony for being our guest today and for sharing his creativity and insights with us. If you enjoyed this interview, check out the article we worked on together for his weekly series in Psychology Today. The article is called How to Jumpstart Your Creativity Using Mindfulness. That's our show for today. Tune in next week where I'll be interviewing another guest and offering more insights into the creative process. If you're not already following us on social media, make sure to follow us on all the platforms to stay up to date with everything we're releasing into the world. You can find my music on all the music streaming platforms and also on my website at noaharonson.com. I hope you're feeling motivated and inspired to create after today's episode. I gently invite you to follow your bliss this week and find time to welcome in more creativity into your life. If you do create something, please share it and tag us so that we can see all the amazing creativity you're bringing into our world. Looking forward to having you back with us next week. As always, we're reminding you to be happy, be creative, be mindful, and to be major. Hey.